so apparently Apple is going to deliver their most impressive hardware in years. Well, you didn't know that. I thought they already do it. No. Oh. They they they're saving up. They've been saving up. Everybody's been waiting for the 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 aha. The Steve Jobs. Uh, iPhone one type of moment. Mm. And according to Killian Bell on Cult of Mac, that next thing is almost here. In 2020, this most impressive hardware is apparently coming out. And this is Apple's long-rumored AR glasses. Mm. Woo! Wonder what the carbon footprint of that is. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got to get one. Uh, no, AR stuff is cool, though, because there's been this bet, this kind of ongoing discussion, AR, VR, AR, VR. And VR had a, had a real shot. It was hot for a minute. Yeah. Still is. Less so, it just it felt like it was gonna progress more rapidly, like a lot of tech does, science fiction, yeah. and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But you were tethered, you're in your room, you're what are you doing? Yes. AR, on the other hand, it's out, it's in the world, it's kind of more like the smartphone. It goes with you. Yes. And so we got those. The Vive, HTC Five. No, the North, the North. Oh, okay, yeah. That's AR. Augmented reality. That's AR. Of glasses. course, uh, that's coming up very soon, by the way. Just stay tuned. That's AR. And then, but prior to that, I had the Google Glass early version. Yep. People were so uncomfortable. What, what is, why does it look like? But maybe if you have AR that looks like normal glasses, isn't too offensive from an appearance perspective, maybe it could actually be, have some sort of an advantage over cranking your neck looking down at your phone all the time maybe you're interacting with voice i don't really know what it's going to look like so this is the north focals theirs looks more like glasses bit chunky on the sides though still mm -hmm. i'm gonna be trying this out really soon that's what it looks like when you when you see your task and you see different navigation and things that show up in the lens just looking through the lens uh could be a bit creepy in the sense that if the technology advances Someone might be deep into their, into their visual, personal visual experience, even though you think they're, like, you're wearing glasses right now. I don't know what you're doing. Well, yeah, I mean, they're clear. You might be talking to me. You might be living it up and. Oh, you mean if there's a display. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean. No, I, I mean, I know yours are regular glasses right now, <laughs> but I'm just saying. Yeah, I wouldn't pay attention. You could be scrolling Twitter right now. Because yeah. this thing has a little finger control to it. You could be scrolling Twitter pretending we're talking. Yeah. You could be out at an intimate uh, a gathering and you're really not gathering at all. No. So, but I don't, you know, look, any new technology, you have to question the application in the early stages. But if they can deliver value or utility and people can feel, I can't, I got to have this then things get pretty interesting pretty fast. And especially if a company of the, at the scale of Apple, if they really approach it, you know the way it goes, Will. 
They're all in. They go on stage. Yeah. They pace around on stage. Left to right. Tim with the posture. He's going to wear his sneakers. Mm -hmm. And he's out there telling you why it's the greatest thing on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And how you're an absolute loser if you don't go buy it. Right. That's how the whole package deal is how it works out. Yes. Uh, just breaking it down for you. Very believable. I'm just breaking it down. Yeah. And everybody in the crowd. <laughs> Arsenic free. <laughs> so loud. Tim Cook doesn't have a carbon <clears throat> footprint. No. Got zero uh, carbon. He's got paper underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Fully recycled. His whole wardrobe is paper. <laughs> he had a pocket full of paper straws. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His toilet paper is made of paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's one ply. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, anyhow, he marches around. He tells you what to buy. You go buy. Mm -hmm. they, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it as they do it. As you would if you were Apple. They're big timers. Billions, trillions. Yep. Unbelievable. Printing money. Uh, incredibly successful. So anyhow, uh, it's believed Apple will launch its first AR glasses next year, 2020. They'll have holographic displays in their lenses, Bloomberg says, and will sync with iPhone to display your notifications. That's another thing. The uh, hardware software integration, the access, the synergy that Apple has with their various products mm -hmm. Just they can plug it in in a more native fashion, similar to how AirPods operate. Mm -hmm. You can imagine this could be the kind of thing it just pops up on your phone, and then they can really manage the experience with a deeper integration. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why they're the right player for the job. Uh, it'll display your notifications. The Apple Glasses also will let you access maps and directions and bring your games to life in the real world. Apparently, right now, Apple is hiring experts in graphics and game development to establish the glasses as the leader in a new product category. And if all goes perfectly, an eventual successor to the iPhone. <laughs> mm. Get it? The iPhone. Uh, it changed to the EYE phone. Right. I thought it would replace the Apple Watch, no? No, well. I... <laughs> okay, then. That's right. No, it's the iPhone with the EYE. Right. So yeah. let's be clear here. No, Apple wants another iPhone. They don't want another Apple Watch because, you know, the shareholders, they're in there. They, they need the machine. to. They want that moment again so that the, the stock goes triple, quadruple. Just churning out cash. That's what they want. So they need another iPhone because now you get the revenue, the profit margin at that phone level. And you have a whole new product category like you did when you had the iPhone. The pocket computer was the original... Uh, new computing category, maybe this. I, I would imagine they would want this to be that. Now, I know that's hard to imagine. Mm. But if you're in the business 
of making money, if you're in the business business, as you would be mm-hmm. if you were Apple, then you you wouldn't mind having another or a new iPhone. Now, apparently, there's still a work in progress. Uh, it's predicted by Ming-Chi that it's next year, 2020. He's the guy. And they're currently uh, presumably imagining or considering what the killer functionality or feature might be because that's that's half the battle sometimes. You ha- you might have some new tech, some new hardware, some new opportunity, but how do you frame it in such a fashion that gets consumers to move, mm-hmm. that puts puts them in the store, puts them on the website to order it up. And so that's kind of more of a software piece. What is that functionality? And that's the the part that are, they're apparently figuring out at the moment by hiring developers and thinking about gaming. Remember Pokemon Go? It was yeah. sort of AR-ish, right? Mm-hmm. That thing, that was hot. Pokemon Go, when it happened at the moment, when it picked up steam, it was at every intersection. You had a question everybody you bumped into. Are you here or are you playing Pokemon Go? I can't mm-hmm. remember. So, anyhow. Apparently, Apple's biggest product in years happening in 2020. And you need to know about it, Will, and so do the people of the Later community here. They need to know what's going on with AR. And we're going to get a dose of it once I test out. I've got them here now. Once I test out the North product, the Focals, we're going to get a sense, a small little taste of what that future might be. Mm -hmm. So that's very exciting. The Huawei Mate X is going to come out. It's actually going to come out. There's a date. There's a price. People were skeptical for a while there. They didn't know what to think. Is it still going to go down or uh, is it a wrap because it's been so delayed? Of course, the issues with the Galaxy Fold, uh, the bad press, and then not just the hardware tech and the issues, durability issues with folding displays in 2019, but also the the whole trade situation. Mm -hmm. That's a double whammy for Huawei. Uh, but apparently they're ready to go. They're ready to to uh, kick it out into the world at $2,074 converted. Now, the reason it's converted to a weird price is because initially it looks like, and maybe permanently, this thing might just launch in China, and that's a wrap, and that's it. Because now we have to add the element of the the trade situation, the ban or at least restriction, and the fact that it would be it would be really it's really tough to begin with to launch a phone lacking Google Play services. Yeah. It's even more difficult when you're asking for a premium price tag, 2000 plus mm-hmm. and you're lacking Google Play services. So obviously as we've stated in the past those Google Play services not as important in the Chinese market uh, where there's they they're they're they appear to be happy to use other app stores and okay with using other uh, email clients and so forth because Google doesn't have a play there. So uh, the spec here for November 15th, high silicon Kirin 980 SOC, 8 gigs RAM, 512 gig storage. It'll have 5G built in. And of course, the 8-inch foldable display resolution at 2480 by 2200 at a 9.9 by 8 aspect ratio 
translated price, $2,074. That's pretty soon, November the 15th. Maybe we can get our hands on one, import one. Mm -hmm. Google Play services, I don't mind temporarily just to check it out, compare it to the Fold. It's all, it's still interesting to me. Yeah. I didn't lose sight of it, particularly the fact that it's an alternative implementation folding the other way around i was curious from the jump still haven't had my chance to get uh, a chance to get my hands on it now the the only speculation that are, that remains is whether or not they'll find a way to get it into other international markets or if it were, will remain china only i think at least for the immediate future it's going to be china only so if you were sitting around waiting for this thing in some other market i wouldn't wait too long mm. for the time being that's just speculation but I wouldn't, I'm not too confident at the moment. There's just a lot of chips stacked against the release of this internationally. But nonetheless, we're going to learn a lot more about it, even just launching into China. Uh, speaking of a phone that people were, were wondering where it may or may not end up from an international perspective, the OnePlus 7T Pro McLaren is going to come to the U.S., it is. The 7T Pro is going to come to the U.S. in the McLaren variant. And it's going to support T-Mobile's 5G. So it's going to have the 5G uh, modem in there. And presumably it's going to be enabled out the gate. Now, granted, my understanding uh, of T-Mobile's 5G network still a work in progress. But maybe having this particular handset at its launch date and, uh, and the continued... Uh, implementation of the 5G network, may maybe you can start to take advantage, at least in certain markets. But you should be aware, it's not it's not widely available yet, 5G, on any phone for that matter, let alone the McLaren version of the 7T Pro. Uh, the One OnePlus 7T Pro McLaren Edition with 5G, it's going to come with a massive 12 gigabytes of RAM, instead of the regular 8 gigs on the standard Pro and regular 7T non-Pro. Of course, we've talked about the design a little bit with the orange accents. This is kind of the top, top tier of OnePlus devices, at least the last couple of years, when they put the McLaren badge on it. It also usually comes with a fancy unboxing experience. In the past, it's come with a special charger cable combo, part of the theme uh, I would love to unbox one, especially now that I know it's coming to the U.S. market, which, of course, is a big uh, viewership for us here on this channel and on Unbox Therapy. So we'll see if we can get that done. There is no exact release date yet, and pricing has not come out for the U.S. market via T-Mobile. But I would say for OnePlus fans, this is good news. At least there's a way to get it because it did seem odd that in a North American market, you couldn't get the best OnePlus device that was out there. Right. Seemed a bit odd. I don't know what the holdup was. Maybe the T-Mobile deal wasn't done. But now it appears it's confirmed that that's going to happen. So exciting times for OnePlus fans. You get the, the wild version of the 7T. The Pro plus McLaren, very flashy. Wouldn't you agree, Will? Exclusive icons, mm. lock screen, minimalist timepiece, orange accents. Where else are you going to get that? Uh, exciting news 
for the tech sector in India. This this story a lot of people sent to me on Twitter. Um, Wall Street Journal backs report of Apple making the iPhone XR in India. So I got this image tweeted at me a number of times, probably from Indian fans, showing the backside of an iPhone XR white 128GB. And on there it says, designed by Apple in California, assembled in India. And so people were really excited about this. Here's a device, a, a pretty current, relatively current device, not an iPhone 6, not an iPhone 10, an iPhone 10R. So last year's device assembled in India. Now we've covered this topic on the show here pretty extensively. There's been incentives pushed forward by the leadership in India to bring high-tech manufacturing to the to to that region. Incentive a number of different incentives. The first one was, was the ability to skip over certain tariffs and taxes associated with completely importing a finished product to India and not uh, doing some portion of the assembly in India. And and so and then that cost would get pushed onto the customers and therefore it would it would elevate the prices for certain products in the region. And so customers would stay away from them, even though that money would just fly straight to the government. So you would you would you would, you would try to encourage those brands to come do business in India, hire Indians and and build up, build up that industry essentially through these factories. Of course, you know what happens. Good things happen, Will. All of a sudden. You got a bigger, you got a workforce. Workforce starts spending money in the local economy. Everything, everything gets elevated, moves up the chain. That's sort of how it goes. Here's a quote from the finance minister in India. India will be more attractive, particularly in light of what is developing between the U.S. and China. That's that's also why this is 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 important right now, because you it's happening alongside the friction tension between U.S. and China. And this may act as a strong proof of concept that, hey, we can get quality assembly in places other than China or Vietnam, but, but, but also in India. And it's also important in India because India also a, a very big smartphone market itself mm -hmm. domestically. Now, apparently the big piece here is whether or not these devices have the potential to also be exported from India. So for the time being, it appears that these models are mostly destined for sale domestically within India. So Indian iPhones assembled by Indian citizens. Hmm. But once you get to the next step, the, 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 the next development or evolution of this is the potential to then export. Because once you start exporting, you know what happens to the volume. Hmm. Right? If you deem an Indian assembled iPhone suitable for Western Europe or North America, now you're going to need to hire a lot more people. Right. More to, business. To satisfy that export. Yeah. So you're bringing a lot more money into the country. So uh, an interesting development. Uh, it, it's it's still a Foxconn plant, to be clear. So you, you would assume it would be up to their standards. And as we see newer and newer Apple devices show up with this badge on the back it's it's a uh, it's an indication that apple is less sensitive than they may have originally have been to the idea of these devices being assembled there 
And so if we see an iPhone 11 or something like this, that will be an indication that this, this could be a real flip. It could have a big impact on the marketplace. Uh, what's faster, Pixel 4 face unlock or iPhone's face ID? CNET did a test on this. Of course, I've done my own test because, well, I just was recently using the iPhone 11 Pro for a while since it came out. And now my SIM card is in the Pixel 4 XL. So I've done this test myself. But I thought it was interesting nonetheless to see another person's experiences. What's unique about the Pixel, it has this radar system that is able to, it's able to sense your uh, approach to the device prior to you actually grabbing it. And therefore that initiates the early part of the unlock process so that it feels faster. And so what that means is as I get close to the phone, it already knows what I'm about to do, and then I pick it up, and it's it, it's sort of skipping the first step where you might have to click a button on an iPhone, for example. It's prepping it for the unlock. And then the second part on the Pixel 4 is the fact that there's no gesture required, so it puts you right into the home, home screen without touching the device beyond it. So you don't click a button, and you, do, you don't do a gesture in order to unlock it. Now... This individual noticed an improvement in speed with just the standard lift to unlock method. And let's see, this is on CNET, and it's Jessica Dolcourt who did the Dolcourt Dolcourt who did the test. And her finding here is the iPhone process isn't hard, but it does take longer. You can lift the phone to wake and unlock in one swoop but you'll still need to swipe up on the lock screen to get in. It's a fast motion that can take about the same time as the Pixel 4, assuming your re reflexes are sharp. Just the fact it requires one more step, and if you don't swipe up from the bottom of the screen, you might have to try again. This happens on the iPhone from time to time, where you do a secondary swipe because the first one just missed for whatever reason. Uh, I would agree with this. I would say on your general sort of walk up and unlock, uh, pick up and unlock, the Pixel 4 is a bit faster. It's not crazy faster. It might just, part of it is it feels faster because there's no secondary step, mm -hmm. but it's it's marginal. To It's not a massive difference to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one she tested, which is not something I do frequently, is something called the lean over test. And this is the idea that you're just going to lean over top of your phone to unlock it. I guess this happens. That would be a bit odd, though, on an iPhone because you would, I guess you lean and swipe. I guess that kind of makes sense. Kirk does it all the time. I'm not a huge lean and swipe, but it got me testing it after I read her findings here. Um, the same thing applies to the Pixel. Since it's sensing your presence, as you approach it, it does the first part, but then it says position your face on the bottom. So you kind of got to really look at it. But yes, it does unlock. It's it's no problem there. On the iPhone, it's going to be the swipe. She actually says, uh, once you hit the lock button to wake the iPhone, she feels like it registers the gaze a little bit faster and has more success overall, but finds them to be comparable as well. And then the last one is laying down. The ultimate... Uh, discovery or conclusion to her article is that they're very similar. Uh, they're, 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 there's no clear winner. For me, for whatever reason, 
the gesture, the swipe up gesture, particularly on the big phone, doing it with one hand was just never the most comfortable gesture. I don't know, maybe swiping from the side. I, I don't know. Hmm. I just wish that Apple uh, gave the option in the software to do it the other way. If you didn't want to have the gesture, right. if you didn't mind losing a little bit of security to just, it's obviously uh, capable of reading your face immediately when you hit the lock switch. It would just be cool to have that kind of wow factor that an unlock without a gesture has. And it's important. It's an important feature because you unlock your phone, you know, maybe 50 times a day, 100 times a day. Yeah. Pretty often. It's, 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 a, it's a big interaction that you have with the device. Uh, but it is, it is good to find out that it's not a massive difference. Right. I think that's the key takeaway here is that it's like a lot of other things in smartphones, cameras, and so forth. We're talking about very micro differences in how these things operate. And people, people blow it out of proportion because of the fandom and so forth. But I think it's, a, I think it's, it's like a lot of other features on modern smartphones, particularly premium smartphones, where they're more similar than they are different. No. None, nonetheless, it is cool on, yeah. on, on this phone to, not, to just pick it up. It's a weird experience to just pick it up and to not to just pick it up and point it at yourself and you're already in. Mm. There is something compelling about that. People are going to have to try it for themselves and see how much that matters to them, but so far so good for me. I'm curious about the accuracy between the two. Like have you yeah. noticed that uh, one was better than the no, other? No, I would put I would consider them to be comparable as well from an accuracy standpoint. Okay. Though this one is going to change because as you know, you saw the stories uh, it'll unlock with your eyes closed. Right. And Google hasn't patched the software yet, and they said it's not going to be super quick to patch it. Yeah, maybe a few months or something. A few months or something. Yeah. So I, I presume that's gonna. this is going to change. The performance of it might change. Something, something Over time, it might change. But So that's important to note as well. For me, it's not the eyes closed thing is a bit odd because it would have to be a family member, I guess. I'm not sleeping in public. No. Or does somebody knock me out and unlock it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the fear is. People can can write their dramatic scenarios down below as to how the eye clo eyes closed yeah. thing would be I'd used, like to hear that. would be used <laughs> against me. It could be very interesting. But apparently they're gonna fix it. It's just gonna take time, which is obviously unfortunate for any new smartphone launch. Uh, here's a cool one, Will. A video, actually, well, it's an article on 9to5Mac, but the article is based around a video by PhoneBuff. Dark mode in iOS 13 significantly helps iPhone battery life. Robotic test shows. So we have a video here. He's developed a cool battery testing uh, um, method using a robot to touch various, uh, a real world type of battery testing. And of course, dark mode is all the rage these days. And it turns out it may have a significant, well, not may, it does have a significant impact on battery life within this test. And, but that only applies, important to note here, it only uh, applies to OLED phones. Because OLED phones obviously work differently in how they deal with pixels that are not activated, whereas your traditional LCD devices use a, a, a backlight. And so it's, it's going to be... And, and, and there's going to be other variables 
for example, how bright your screen is, your day-to-day -day use. He set them to a, a, some sort of a standard. Where was it? It says what the brightness was, I think, somewhere in here. Yeah, 200 nits brightness. So it could change depending if you're using a bright, if you're using it on a brighter setting or less bright. But I guess that's pretty standard setting for a lot of users, 200 nits. But the cool thing is when the phone is in dark mode, it was capable of going through the same set of tests, but having 30% battery life left when the other light mode device died. So that's a pretty substantial improvement to still have 30% left on the battery when light mode dies. Now, this is specific to iOS, this test, but presumably if you have an OLED phone on Android, you might see something similar, maybe not the same amount. It's going to depend. It's going to be on a device-to-device -device basis. But it's kind of exciting because now you have this method to keep your phone... to what is it, a 30% improvement in your battery life just by using dark mode. Mm. It's kind of cool. And so if you have an OLED device, think about it. Give it a shot. Give it a test yourself. But a cool finding nonetheless, I think it's going to encourage a lot of people to give dark mode a shot mm -hmm. and go enable it, even if you don't like the aesthetic of dark mode or that's not what's driving you there. Uh, now you have a real utilitarian reason for enabling dark mode. Right. Uh, I, I tweeted this out recently. It, it was it's kind of strange that it took so long dark mode. It just makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Well, it does, yeah. Dark mode, but yet it, we've had these devices for a decade, and dark mode is only becoming ubiquitous now. So I don't know what the complexity is. Maybe a developer can tell me why it took as long as it did, but it appears to have many benefits. It's probably easier on your eyes. Yes. We talked about blue light in the past and. Yes. Issues there, battery life improvement, dark mode. Yeah. Dark mode, what a time. 30% uh, of battery life left over at the end when light mode died. Judge sends ex-Oregon college student to prison for more than three years for counterfeit Apple iPhone scam. Uh, this one caught my attention. Well, obviously, with a headline like that. This guy was enrolled at Oregon State University and he was involved in what was billed a lucrative phone repair business. But in reality, all that was happening was he was importing counterfeit devices, counterfeit iPhones from China, and then returning them to Apple, mm. either by mail or by store, returning them as non-counterfeit, as authentic devices, and getting them replaced with authentic ones, then sending the authentic ones back to China to be sold on the market there for profit. Now, Apple says this cost them $1.2 million. That's a lot of devices. Uh, it's around 2,000 counterfeit Apple iPhones. And he had a whole ring going on of friends in different states, and they would get some money for submitting these warranty claims and giving him a legit iPhone back. So he pleaded guilty in April to, tra to trafficking counterfeit goods. He apparently dropped out of the engineering program at Oregon State. Everything, everything was going, going well. Well, he's, he's cashing out. Oh. He earned $20 to $30 for each new iPhone. That doesn't sound like uh. that. Doesn't sound like it. He's not. He didn't cash out hard enough. Yeah. He's doing three years in prison now 
20 or 30 bucks for each iPhone. He should have just started repairing iPhones himself. <laughs> Could have been a better business. Or importing, I don't know, imports, import batteries. For, I, don't, I, mean, I don't, maybe not. This is more fun, obviously. He says he only made about 40,000 bucks in total. I don't think that's mm. worth three years in prison, but I'm not sure. His role was to receive, send in, and return the phones. Uh, she asked his lawyer that Jang be placed on probation with a requirement to complete at least 1,000 hours of community service. The judge didn't like that, Will. He wanted to uh, set the standard. He hard, hard time. Well, he just I guess he wanted to send a message to anyone thinking of doing something like yeah. this. And obviously, it's a big amount of money if it's... Maybe, I don't know if Apple embellished that. 1.2 million, 2,000 phones. Is that is 2,000 phones, 1.2 million bucks? Or maybe there's other damages, uh, like like all the costs associated with these warranty claims and the employees responsible. I don't know how right. they came up with that figure. Uh, but he did defraud Apple for that money. Imagine Apple. They're sitting around all these counterfeit devices. They got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. They got to contact the FBI. We got all these counterfeit devices come from all these different places. How do we find a guy responsible? Mm -hmm. The fraud lasted from January 2016 through to February 2018. He imported the counterfeit iPhones from Hong Kong, coordinating their delivery to multiple addresses in Oregon, Washington, and Colorado. He and others sent each phone to Apple Inc., complaining it wouldn't power on in exchange for a new phone under Apple's warranty process. So Apple must not have been checking serial numbers or right what part of their process could be exploited there or maybe the counterfeits would have had a counterfeit serial number to go with it anyhow nonetheless there's a picture there of what the phones look like stacked up counterfeit apple's records reflected that jang used more than 250 names and 1330 email addresses for the submission of 3069 fraudulent warranty claims Apple then sent back to Jang and his accomplices 1,493 new or refurbished iPhones, each with an average of $600 resale value. So that's a big number, I guess, overall. I find it hard to believe he only got 20000 out of the deal if he was doing all the work, but who knows? Or 40000 Tw Between twenty and forty? Oh, 40000 Yeah, still, though. Is yeah, that enough? Uh... Who cashed hard on this? I want to know. Somebody did. Yeah. But he's in jail now, so don't do this kids this is this was obviously a bad idea and uh, there's a lot of ways go start a business i don't know he already paid apple two hundred thousand. Oh, let me see this jang has paid two hundred thousand to apple in restitution money his parents obtained through the sale of their home in china oh so he he didn't make enough so he actually owed more money so his parents had to sell their house yeah they sent him dude, they, dude they sent him over here to go to Oregon State University to get an engineering degree. Yeah. Instead, they end up selling their house. Yeah. To pay off, to pay Apple the restitution money. Yeah. And he had to forfeit his 2015 Mercedes Benz. Rough, rough time. Uh, once he realized the scheme was unlawful, he said, I did not want to face the truth because at the time I really needed the job. I felt ashamed and embarrassed. He sunk deeper and deeper, yeah. Yeah, that's the problem, Will. You start making a few bucks. Mm -hmm. It's so, you feel like it's easy. You keep going down the path. You put your head up at some point. Wow, how did we get this far along? But mm -hmm. you got to stay away from it, I guess, in the beginning. If he had a link to iPhone stuff from China, 
There's so many. I'm, I got 20 businesses right now. Legit ones. Yeah. So. God, that's sad. You take a different path to parents. That's rough on yeah. the parents, mostly. Uh, Google Maps now shows speed traps, potentially raising the ire of law enforcement. This is the Washington Post. Now, uh, speed traps are a thing that you could report on Waze for a while now. And nobody really cared. I mean, I guess it wasn't such a big deal. But the thing is, if Google Maps now does it natively, this is immediately a thing that millions of people are going to use. Oh, yeah. And so there's going to be so many more people uh, aware of where these speed traps exist. And I'm, so I'm reading this article, and it said somewhere the user base of Google Maps, and this absolutely blew my mind here, is a well, you can imagine it's a huge number. 177 million monthly active smartphone users. Almost 200 wow. million monthly active. It's a gigantic social network of people going places. How genius is that? Mm. Google Maps is awesome. Yes. Just, it's one of those things that you take for granted. You just forget not having it. Mm -hmm. You forget what life was like. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people watching this that never knew what life was like pre-Google Maps. You take it for granted. It's wild. Now, adding this feature, it's even more useful. Law enforcement, on the other hand, not too happy about it. They claim that this, that the risk here is these types of features uh, might affect public safety. Because now people are going to know when to speed, not to speed. But I guess the weird thing about a speed trap, if you know there's a speed trap and, and, and it, within the city they just put speed traps everywhere, your mm -hmm. app is just going to show everywhere's a speed trap. Right. And who... Uh, so you never speed and you don't need the ticket. That's true. This is weird. Who? But I guess you can't put a speed trap everywhere. It's probably not viable. No. Because, I mean... Yeah, I, I'm just wondering who, like, implements this. If there's a speed trap there. Mm -hmm. like, Users, you report it. They report it. Users report the speed trap. Okay. And they can report other things for the record. It's not just speed traps. Uh, on Waze, yeah. and, and now here, you can report uh, a car that broke down. You can report construction. Right. All these things. Mm -hmm. Potholes, which can be useful to users. Obviously, uh, does a speed trap fall into it? It's very, it's actually kind of a tough one from a ethical or uh, legal legislative standpoint because do people have a right to know where a speed trap is? They're supposed to surprise. That's drivers. how it works. But as a <laughs> citizen, do you have a right to know? Let's say, for example, Will, it's not an app at all, but I see a speed trap. And I call you and say there's a speed trap on the street. Did I just break? You see what I mean? It gets weirdly. Yeah, you're going to jail. Though. It gets cloudy. Yeah. Or if you blink your lights. Right. But there was actually a case here of a guy holding a sign in front of a, a speed trap saying there's a speed trap. He, he really wanted. Yes. And they know. had to drop the charges on him, even though they picked oh. him up. Because they were mad, they had to drop the charges. He can hold. He can stand there with the sign. This it's isn't too bad. Happening in the public. The speed trap. Unless Google decides to acknowledge there's a speed trap and finds a reroute. <laughs> yeah, reroute you around a speed trap. Or yeah, that would be more malicious. 
But what about a warning? There's a speed trap in five minutes. Slow down. I, I personally would like that. Of course, the user I'm would sure. love it. You were going to get a speeding ticket. Yeah, the police. But they're saying, we're not going to be able to get the revenue. We're not going to give you the ticket. And now you're going to no, you're going to be so confident in the speed trap reporting that you will speed without warning. I see. Only when the speed trap warning comes up will you actually drive the speed limit because you'll be so confident that you won't be caught in a speed trap. That's What's that? You see, and that's the so that's the problem. You start to get conditioned for the idea of having two different driving methods mm -hmm. depending on what the app is telling you. So what does Google gain for this? From this oh you you love maps more you need to use maps you'll never not have maps on that's the distinct feature you think i think that's a killer feature i see i think that's why people use ways right now yeah i, I love ways yeah i think know, that's it's but... you have that you have but it's not like i said it's not just the ability to report the speed trap it's also the broke down vehicles all the all the right, the, right. the uh accumulation of 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 information that can help you make a better decision and affect your day you're going to save time the other thing with the speed trap is maybe it's if they're pulling people over on the side of the road it's going to slow down your route because right. even if you're just driving the speed limit if you've ever seen this when a person's pulled over everyone slows down yeah they want to know what's up they slow down they do this and their pace goes down maybe even below the speed limit and they're sporadic, them hitting the brakes. You might want to avoid it altogether and just take a reroute. So it's uh, very interesting, but the feature, I guess the feature's rolling out right now. Yeah, it's rolling out. It's going to bring crashes and slowdowns in real time to its Maps app, making the new feature available to about 1 billion existing users worldwide. 1 billion Worldwide users are about to know where all the speed traps are. Imagine how the speeding revenue will go down for all local police departments instantly mm. as 1 billion users get access to this feature. Because I get it, it, it did exist on Waze, but that was a much smaller demographic of users comparatively. Yeah. Yes. But it's not the it's not the data. They want the users. They want you to be locked into Google Maps. So then their competitors are are further behind. So by making having ways be good is one step. But you were never going to have the footprint, the user base that Maps did. So take what you learn in ways and then implement it in Maps for the real business. Because it's going to be the type of thing where you can't have your Maps off when you're driving. There's no uh, relaxing coastal drive anymore mm -hmm. with the maps turned off. They got to keep you locked in, keep you connected. Well, it's possible that they advertise through maps, but with Google, it's always some way down the road play. Eventually, they'll probably local destinations on your map will be able to advertise. McDonald's has a deal at 2 p.m. and it's on your route. Imagine that. The future. Also, avoid the speed trap in the meantime Yes. to McDonald's. You see where I'm going here? It's all very intense, but it's cool nonetheless. I think a ton of people are going to start using this as it rolls out. One billion users, 177 million active users a month. Google Maps, what a time. Uh, on the same topic of what a time to be alive, Coca-Cola is now infusing the signature brand with 
coffee. Coffee Coke. Coffee cool. Coca-Cola. Think about that. Now, Coke has been struggling a little bit, particularly with the flagship drink, Coca-Cola. It's been down a little bit. The market for carbonated soft drinks declined 1.6% annually from 2012 to 2017. Brands have responded with a variety of strategies. Of course, you've seen they've, uh, they've, they've invested more in water, bottled water, carbonated water, uh, lower, lower sugar alternatives that they're selling now. But this is a new angle, an interesting one. Coca-Cola plus coffee launching <clears throat> in more than 20 markets with a diligent consumer focus, consistent messaging, and an integrated execution plan has driven strong performance. That's what Coca-Cola is currently saying. In other words, it's going well, Coca-Cola plus coffee. Now, a lot of people are not going to remember this, but this is not their first time with a coffee drink. They had something called Coca-Cola Black, B-L-A-K, and it did terrible. And I think that just was a bad name. I think that's all that is. And it, it, it was limited markets as well. Bad packaging, too. It's freaking me out a little bit. Coca-Cola plus coffee, on the other hand, sounds more... I don't know why it sounds more appealing. I want to give it a shot for some reason. Yeah, have a swig. I just want to try it right now for yeah. some reason. Now, apparently... It's also, does Coca-Cola and coffee, do those flavors sound complimentary? For some reason, they do. Mm. Sure, sure. Bubbly coffee. I know there's been coffee beers in the past. Mm. They're carbonated. They're a bit sweet. It's all very interesting. The largest contributor to retail value growth was the flagship U.S. market driven by continued double-digit volume gains in Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. So the sugar thing appears to be the problem, as well as the size of the cans. So apparently, the other area that's growing well for Coca-Cola is the 7.5-ounce mini cans. So mm. People are like, I can have the Coke, but I can't have the whole one. Right, like a little taster. I can have the, the little one. Yeah. So Coke's like, hey, man, you can still buy us. Just buy the small one. It'll all be fine. Coffee consumption, on the other hand, is crushing. Global coffee consumption is growing at 5.5% a year. And after Starbucks and Kraft Heinz, which owns Maxwell House, Mordor ranked Coca-Cola as the third largest global player. Mordor? Mordor. <laughs> That's the company. Is, is that what? something from Lord of the Rings? Yeah. <laughs> it's also the name of the, the company... Uh, Mordor Intelligence. Oh, I see. Okay. That they track global coffee consumption. Yeah. Sorry, that name threw me. The Coke Plus coffee product family packs slightly more caffeine than a regular can of Coke, but still clocks in under what a traditional cof uh, cup of coffee contains. Mm. So it's not like a, it's not a tremendous amount of caffeine. It's not like an energy drink or something. So maybe I'm gonna have to import some of that. Give it a crack. It's interesting nonetheless. Coke trying to hang on trying to satisfy the shareholders, come up with new drinks. People love coffee. Coffee has not taken a big hit yet. People, That word coffee, I'm, people are lining up for it. So why not? Coca-Cola coffee is coming. Keep an eye out. Uh, here we have a feel-good story on the show. Apple Watch fall detection saves New Jersey man after tumbling off cliff and breaking his back. You hear that, Will? Yeah, that sounds horrible. 
It does. Well, this watch it has a feature. It will uh, detect a, a bad fall, and it will alert the authorities, 911, if that happens. This is an example of that. Uh, Apple Watch's fall detection feature just likely saved another life. This also via 9to5Mac. This time, Apple's wearable auto-dialed 911 after a young couple hiking in New Jersey fell off a cliff and landed on the rocks in a river below. James said that it was getting dark and was tough to see. They started sliding down what they thought was a short drop-off, but as it happened, were actually sliding down a serious cliff headed for the Navesink River. Imagine that. In the dark, you start cool. sliding, and then, you're, and then you realize it's a giant cliff. Ooh. That's some creepy stuff. Anyhow, uh, he fell, obviously, down the, down the cliff. It was a straight drop to the rocks and water. Him and his girlfriend, I believe. Is that right? Does it matter? James him? and Paige. Him, him and Paige. James and Paige. They hit the river. James hit a rock and fractured his back in three places. Paige somehow wasn't seriously injured. I was screaming, I'm going to die because I, I felt I was going to die, he said in an interview. There was no way out of this for me. Anyhow, the watch immediately alerted the authorities because it was able to uh, sense the massive fall. And they showed up and he was saved and it really paid off. Now, the interesting thing is that this fall detection is not enabled by default on the Apple Watch unless you're over a certain age in a risk zone. So James is only 28 years old, and fall detection for a 28-year-old would be off by default when you put in your age onto the... Probably because you're going to mostly be okay if you fall if you're 28, mm -hmm. as opposed to 78. But James had it turned on. Oh. He went in there and manually turned on fall detection, maybe because he's always scaling these cliffs with Paige, yeah. James and Paige. And so in his case, he's all set. Anyhow, on this article, 9to5Mac, they have a link uh, to how to manually turn on fall detection on your Apple Watch. Kirk, you got the Apple Watch on. You going to turn on the fall detection or what? You're going to turn it on. I mean, why not, right? Just turn it on. It's no big deal. Yeah. If you're still in good shape, I think you can, you can cancel the emergency call if you're not unconscious. But this is now the second story I've read. The other one was a guy on a uh, mountain bike who was, he woke up in the ambulance. Mm. So the ambulance had already found him. They had already found him and loaded him up by the time he came back to consciousness. So he could have died. It's crazy stuff, man. It's a pretty cool feature. Anyhow, Apple Watch, fall off a cliff. Okay, last one for me. Will, you remember the story, it was a while ago, about the person that bought the iPhone on the classifieds and instead of getting an iPhone, got a box of soap? Yes. You remember that story? Yes. Okay, today we have a whole new, we have a whole new level of that. Oh. Pennsylvania person bought an iPhone with a fake million-dollar bill. <laughs> I read that headline, and I just knew I had to, I just wanted to, I just had to read that headline on the show. An iPhone exchange in Pennsylvania took a turn for the worse, and now police are looking for a suspect carrying a very large but fake bill. Uh, WETN reports that 
Alexis Brown wanted to sell her used iPhone 6S for $100 to someone she met online. When, when the two met, Brown gave the man her old phone in exchange for a roll of bills. Do you count? Do you want to look at the bills? Would that be worth it? I don't know. Nah. Something was awry. When Brown went to count the money, she discovered that something didn't add up. The roll she was given had two $1 bills, one $10 bill, and one $1 million bill. Get it from, like, Monopoly or something? <laughs> I don't No, it's a novelty bill. You can, I think you can buy it on Amazon or something. It's a joke. A million dollar bill. I don't... Why three? A roll of bills, one, two $1 bills, one $10 bill, and a $1 million bill. Uh, okay. I, this, this, this one really threw me for a loop. I didn't know how to... So she obviously didn't check the bills at the moment or she wouldn't have transacted the phone unless he bounced immediately after handing over the roll of bills. I'm not really sure. Of course, the bill was fake. So Brown told her girlfriend who then went and found the scam artist. When he was confronted by the girlfriend who tried to take back the phone, the suspect reportedly punched her in the face and ran. <laughs> what? But then why not do that in the first place? What is your scam? Why not just punch him in the face and take the phone? Yeah. But also, if you're going to scam someone, why are you scamming them for a $100 iPhone 6S? Mm. Why don't you scam them? If you're going to bring a million-dollar bill... <laughs> There's so many problems with this story. I really want to find out what the bill looks like. One of the questions <laughs> now is what does a $1 million bill even look like? Oh, for the record, the largest bill ever printed, legit bill, from the U.S. Mint was a $100,000 bill. And it carried the face of President Woodrow Wilson. So that's kind of surprising oh, okay. that there even was uh, a bill... A hundred thousand dollar bill, but here's your fake million dollar bills. Yeah, you can have the Statue of Liberty on it. It's a novelty item. Well, you get it for Halloween, or I don't know what you do. Hmm. You just put it on the wall. Right. You're just a fun guy. You got a million dollar yeah. bill. Ha ha ha. That's all it is. It's not hard to print that. So people print them and 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 sell them. The novelty million dollar bill is what that is. But I still this particular article gives me way more questions than answers and uh the soap one i kind of understood because sometimes in a transaction you have a thing where a box might be sealed or taped and you just assume okay yeah. i'm not the phone is in there and then you open it when you get home and it's i kind of that one's a bit more believable but this one <laughs> i just don't understand how the whole all you have to do in a private sale type of transaction, all you have to do is hand the item and count the money. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to do. So you didn't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I mean, the guy's obviously a jerk. I'm not trying to uh, yeah. defend the guy, but it's just, it's weird. And then for the guy, that's the jerk as well. What is this roll of bills you're walking around with? Why? The whole thing's so wild. Wild and crazy, the internet, it'll deliver this kind of stuff to you if you're looking for it. So they have it, another crazy uh, classified Craigslist type of transaction. You never know what you're going to get. No. And you never know what's going to happen. But we do, we, I think we have good news on the soap one, right? Mm-hmm. 
we sent them a phone. Yes. So, soap phone, but they were supposed to send us the soap. Yes. I think it's still going to happen. Okay. Well, we'll wait and see, but yeah. somebody got a new iPhone. What did we send, Will? The iPhone 11 Pro. We sent an iPhone 11 Pro. Never yes. mind a box of soap. Even though they were, I think they were trying to bring a, they were trying to buy what? IPhone an iPhone 8 or 8? 7, something like that. Anyhow, so in that case, there was sympathy. Maybe there's less sympathy in this one. I don't know. Well, if someone's getting punched in the face, I got sympathy here as well. Yeah. I want to hear more Someone about it. Get in hurt. touch with me. If this, if you're involved in this, get in touch with me. Tell your story. You get in touch with me. Mm. I'm curious. But anyhow, nonetheless, another crazy classified. There you have it. We did it again. Mm. We did it again. Yeah. It's a lot that happened. Apple, augmented reality, face unlock, Coca-Cola with coffee in it. 2019. What a time to be alive. His name is Willie Dew, and he would like to close the show right now. Nope. You can end it there, Kirk. Thank you. <laughs>